do have a lot to get to uh, in this show. Of course, a huge weekend in European theater, man. Uh, with the start of the European season, we had goals from Christian Pulisic. Uh, Gio Reyna, Raul Jimenez back on the pitch. So exciting stuff That's to discuss right. there. We got to catch up on CONCACAF Champions League and uh, League's Cup from last week as well. And, of course, you can listen to all that on the uh, Football Americas podcast available in your ESPN FC, wherever you download uh, your pods. But, Herc, we got to start with the breaking news that broke our rundown because uh, this had to go straight to the top of the rundown. Carly Lloyd, the legend, is announcing her retirement from the game. She's not done yet. Not exactly, anyway. She's got uh, four friendlies. She'll still play with the U.S. this coming fall, a couple in September, a couple in October, and she'll finish out the rest of the NWSL season with her Gotham FC team. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist, two-time World Cup champion, two-time FIFA Player of the Year, hurt the only American other than Mia Hamm to win that award twice. At 39 years old, she's got 128 international goals and over 300 appearances with the U.S. Women's National Team. Herc, are you surprised to hear that Carly Lloyd is stepping away uh, from the game? No. Uh, what else can Carly Lloyd do? She's 39 years old. She's been hinting at this for quite some time. I think it was the natural thing to do. This is just recognize the legend that is Carly Lloyd, a, a true Mamba mentality. I, when you think about athletes and how mentally tough they can be, Carly Lloyd comes to that list. Uh, think about the big time performer she is. Was it 2008, yep. uh, the Olympic uh, final, the gold medal match? She's decisive in that. 2012 as well. 2015, she scores a hat trick in the World Cup final. It just seems to follow her 17 year career participated in three different decades. That's three decades of greatness for the U.S. women's national team. She is one of the goats in this sport for sure. I am surprised, Turk, in that there was some part of you that felt like Carly Lloyd might play forever. She has a little bit of that Tom Brady in her where you thought, okay, this is a player that takes such good care of her body and is yeah. so beyond that because a lot of players take good care of their bodies. Singularly obsessed with winning and kind of proving people wrong. I, I could have seen Carly Lloyd playing or trying to play uh, into her 40s. But I, I think it's the right time. You know, it's the right time for her. It's the right time for the national team. And what better send-off? I know it's not a, a gold medal heroic performance, but those two goals in the bronze medal match, decisive goals that give the U.S. a medal at these Olympics, like that's a, a pretty good way to go out. Um, if you're Carly Lloyd in your last competitive match, of course, you will get the, the four friendlies that we mentioned before. But, Herc, this leads us to a, a, another question, right? A question from our producer, to be fair. Uh, does Carly Lloyd, at the end of the day, fit on the, the Mount Rushmore, we're calling it, of the U.S. women's national team? Now, uh, you know me. I, I'll never shy away from a hot take. And, and you know me. I'll also, I love chasing down hits on the Internet. Um, okay. But this is not about that. Let's treat this more as like an academic exercise because it's really, and I put this out on Twitter, it's, it's brutally difficult, right? Um, but this comes down to me to two key questions. Uh, do you count goalies and what criteria do you use? Why, why wouldn't you count goalies? Okay, fair enough. Okay. Um, so let's lay, leave the criteria aside for a second. If you do count goalies, if you don't count goalies, there's four names to me that are very, very clearly kind of in your Mount Rushmore. Uh, and they're the four most iconic attacking players of their generations, right? Michelle Aker's the first, yep. passes the torch to Mia Hamm, who passes it to Abby Wambach, who shares it for a while and then passes it to Carly Lloyd. Okay. There's your four, okay? But I don't think you can tell the story of the U.S. Women's National Team, the true history, without the goalies. And if true. I'm going to pick a goalie, I'm going to pick Hope Solo. So for, this, for the sake of this argument, I'll put Hope Solo in, which means of the what? four that I just picked, I, gotta, I can only have three. Right? So there you can see I've left probably the biggest name out of all, the most well-known name, Mia Hamm, out of the Mount Rushmore. Now, let, let me explain myself because, again, this is not a hot take. This is an academic exercise. So this is where criteria comes in, okay, Herc? Criteria. Now, we can measure it in off-field, in off-field importance, but that's subjective. That's really hard to quantify. You could measure it on on-field accomplishments, Herc, right? On on-field accomplishments. But that's also difficult to quantify because you're comparing, you're comparing across generations in a women's game that has changed incredibly from the 90s to today. Okay. So the one criteria that to me stands the test of time is big game performance. So let's go big game performance then from the four field players I mentioned. We'll go through it. You took care of Carly Lloyd. Her, her big game CV, no problem. Abby Wambach, Abby Wambach is Ms. Extra Time, right? If there was a big extra time goal to be scored, if there was an extra time game anywhere in any big tournament featuring the U.S. Women's National Team, she was scoring in it. You can ask Canada, you can ask Japan, you can ask Brazil. Marta would have a gold medal if not for Abby Wambach. She'd also have a gold medal, uh, another one, if not 
for Carly Lloyd. So the last name there is Michelle Akers, okay? This is a history lesson for some. Michelle Akers in the 1991 World Cup scored 10 goals. In the final, she scored the only two U.S. goals in a 2-1 win. Big game as an attacking player, check. 1999 World Cup final. The game that is the defining game of the legacy of the U.S. women's national team, right? Did the offense win it? No. No. The defense win it. And who was the defensive center midfielder? At yep. 33 years old, in a 100 degree temperature at the Rose Bowl, that had to man mark the best woman mark, the best attacking player in the world that wasn't American, it was Michelle Akers. Okay. So your big game performance there. Now, now, so you don't come at me, so the Mia Ham haters don't come at me. I love Mia Hamm. Okay. I love can, Mia Hamm. Can, can I get a chance I here? Let me do one more point here. One more point. Because cause I have to, I, if you leave me a ham, you have to explain why. <laughs> seven major tournaments. In those seven major tournaments, 19 knockout games. 19 elimination games. How many goals? Two. Ooh, none in a final. Mia none in a final. No, no, no. Wow. I'm just, I, you've, asked me to, you've asked me to pick between four incredible players. I've given you my criteria. 19 games, two goals, one in a third place match, none in a final. I, you, I, it's been a while since I've seen you shaking on, your boots this way. You did your mother, your mother had the chancla already in her hand. Hold on. I'm, I've been, I know it's unpopular. Okay. I can handle unpopular. I've been unpopular since the sixth grade. <laughs> is, it, is it unfair? Is it unfair? Kind of, yes. A absolutely. I know it's an impossible task, Seb. Michelle Lakers is the FIFA player of the century, okay, out mm -hmm. the window. Hope Solo revolutionized the position. You have to put her in there. I've never seen a goalkeeper in the women's game like her. Uh, Mia Hamm was the face of women's soccer. She put women's soccer on the map. You mentioned when we're talking about Carly Lloyd, one of two players to win two FIFA Player of the Year awards, Mia Hamm. There is no 99ers. There are no whatever, whatever league you want at any type of the, uh, the landscape in U.S. soccer on the women's side without Mia Hamm. The game isn't in it where it is today without Mia Hamm. You can't talk about women's soccer and not put Mia Hamm's name in the equation. So, yes, blasphemy. Get whoever you <laughs> want to get out of there, but Mia Hamm has to be there. Okay, okay, you didn't tell me who you're taking out, but I guess we'll leave it there uh, for now. Look, it's a, it's, a, it's a wild debate, and at the end of the day, we're two dudes having it. We really need a woman's perspective here. Right. Uh, we will bring that for the coming episodes of, of Football Americas, uh, no doubt. Speaking of women's football, there's plenty more of it here on ESPN and the ESPN family and networks. We got the ICC, that's right, a uh, cross-continental affair. We got Lyon and Barcelona, that's 8.30 p.m. Um, Eastern time match you can catch over on ESPNU, and then right after it, Portland Thorns and the Houston Dash. The NWSL side of the bracket. That game on ESPN2 Wednesday. Both those streaming live on the app. All right, let's get to what happened over in Europe on the weekend. Opening weekend, Herc, of the European season. How about the start for Christian Pulisic? Gets the start for Chelsea against Crystal Palace in a 3-0 win. He scores a goal, Herc, in the 40th minute. He is subbed off in the 82nd, replaced by Kai Havertz. Very clear here that the Football Americas pressure is getting uh, to Thomas Tuchel. What do you think of Christian Pulisic, Herc, starting the season in the starting lineup? Great. Good, grand, dandy, fine, I'm okay with it. Uh, and he was bright, right? And this is what Christian Pulisic is making us accustomed to seeing. Very rarely, even if he's not on the score sheet, Seb, if he's not picking mm -hmm. up a goal or an assist, do you leave underwhelmed. He always has a player, too, that gets you up on the edge of your seat, makes you stand up. Like, what's Christian Pulisic going to do? He's got that air of arrogance about him on the field. I love it. But now he's accompanying it with those goals, those assists. He's putting up those stats, so you almost can't take him out of the equation. But we know how that goes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But look, I think, I think the point stands here. He did score a goal on the weekend. So for now, it would seem that he can't be taken out of the 11. However, there's a huge piece coming for Chelsea. Romelu Lukaku. Now, yeah. uh, Thomas Tuchel had some interesting comments about Lukaku because everybody's asking what's the impact that he's going to have on the rest of the squad. Now, most people aren't focused on Christian Pulisic, right? They're focused on what it's going to mean for Timo Werner. Well, can you believe this from Thomas Tuchel? Maybe, maybe it's honest, maybe it's not. I think it will help Timo a lot. He takes responsibility, can take some pressure off Timo, Kai Havertz, and Christian Pulisic, so we have more variety. Um, Herc, do you believe Thomas Tuchel here? Do you believe that 
effectively this won't mean Timo Werner goes to the bench. Because if you do, what you're saying is Timo Werner comes somewhere else in the starting lineup and is now competing with Christian Pulisic. Yeah, like I told you last week, Timo Werner is going to see Lukaku as that nine. And those two interior tens, that double ten below that nine, one was Christian Pulisic, uh, Zee, excuse me, Kai Havertz, uh, Mount, is now going to be Timo Werner. Lukaku, Timo Werner in that equation. He goes out of his way to tell you how this isn't a bad thing for Timo Werner because the question was about Timo Werner. He mentioned some other players, but he specifically says how this could be a good thing for Timo. He obviously loves Timo Werner. He likes what he gets out of him because of his movement, because of his play, because of how chaotic he can be on the field and what it causes for his team. Listen, he's a player that's got blazing speed, runs very well, Oftentimes he'll get caught offside, but what he does for others in dragging defenders out of position and mm. opening up those spaces in that transition game that's very, very important for Thomas Tuchel because they are a defensive team first, not an offensive team. They've got a wealth, a wealth of talent offensively, but they are defense first at Chelsea. That's what took them to that top four finish in the Premier League. That's what took them to be European champions in the Champions League. They will continue to do that even with Lukaku. So what do you think happens with Werner? Do you think he takes over one of those two spots I behind do. Lukaku? Oh, absolutely. You do? Yes. There's you no do. convincing me otherwise because that's, this is who Thomas Tuchel is. I am do you, convinced. Wait a second. Let me just ask you this. Do you think he's better? Because it's not his job, right? It's not his initial job. He's not, it's not the nine. Do you think he's better at that role than Christian Pulisic? No, I think he's better wide. And I think Christian Pulisic can be better centrally. But here's the issue. Thomas well, Tuchel the doesn't we're talking about. That. No, because it's Thomas Tuchel. And I am convinced that nobody can convince me otherwise that Thomas Tuchel still sees a 16-year-old kid who he gave first-team minutes to at Dortmund. He still sees Christian Pulisic. Well, that's a mistake, a isn't it? That's it's a, a mistake, huge mistake, then. maybe, but doing it his way, Seb, he's done everything right at Chelsea. He's only lost five games. No, can't argue the results. Can't argue the results, but you can point to it if you're Christian Pulisic and say, hey, I cannot do any more to get in the starting lineup. And then when he is in the starting lineup, Stay in the starting lineup. There'll be plenty more, plenty more time to discuss uh, Christian Pulisic throughout the rest of the season, as I'm sure he bounces in and out of the starting lineup. It's the reality of being at a big club like Chelsea. Next up on the Americans who scored in Europe list, Giovanni Reina. Now, he did it in somewhat spectacular fashion. Maybe not the goal, but the game itself. A 5-2 win her over Eintracht Frankfurt. He gets the start. He gets the goal. He's wearing that beautiful number seven, taken over from Jaden Sancho. His goal comes off an assist from his uh, new best friend, Erling Holland, who, by the way, had himself an amazing game. Two goals uh, and three assists. And after the game, her, the, the budding bromance between these two was on full display. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You saw it today. Uh, yeah, it's unbelievable, I guess is the right word. Special, uh, yeah, just amazing. He's so important for the team. Uh, goals, assists, hungry team player. Works for the team, so uh, yeah, we're so happy to have him, and uh, you know, hopefully this is just a start for for him and uh, for all the uh, the attackers going forward the season as a five goal display today. Hopefully, we can keep it going throughout the season like this. Gio Reyna and Erling Holland, the next big tag team in world football. Herc, what say you? I mean, it certainly looks that way, right? You yep. put Erling Haaland next to Gio Reyna, they definitely understand each other. They actually enjoy playing against you. They have a lot in common. Both their dads played at Man City. They're sons of footballers. They're mm-hmm. both 18 and one of the other one's 21. They're still adolescents. They're still very young. And they are, they're enjoying the way they play. And they're just electrifying. They're blazing on the counter. I've not seen a duo like this. Bear with me because it's very difficult to try to compare, compare these two to totally. duos of the past, okay? But Ronaldo and Rivaldo 2002 is my comparison of these two. And, and by the way, sidebar, is it me or is Gio Reyna getting bigger? Is Gio Reyna taller? What do they feed yep. these kids in Germany? You saw him next to Erling Holland the other day. It's like they're almost the same size. The electricity, the, the, the pace, the, the, the technique, the ability from these two. It gets me excited knowing that Gio Reyna gets to do this alongside Erling Holland. Yeah, and, and it's exciting because you know there's going to be a lot more goals and a lot more assists, and that's always going to drive up his value and probably interest in him, uh, you would assume as well, from, from other bigger clubs. Although, hey, right now, Dortmund at his age, not a bad place to be at all. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out, because we had Jurgen Klinsmann on the show, on the post-game show, we were doing, doing the match in studio for ESPN FC, and the thing that he said that stuck to me was they smell each other, and it really, like, you, you feel that when you watch these two play. They... they instantaneously, without looking in a blind sense, 
know where each other are and are looking for each other. Uh, and if I'm somebody that's investing stock in Gio Reyna and I see him playing this closely to Erling Holland, whew, I yeah. love it because it yeah. is fun to watch. It's only going to accelerate his development. You talked about that bromance. This is the one thing that Ronaldo and Rivaldo didn't have. They actually didn't like each other uh, very much off the field. These two do, and you can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just see the way they enjoy playing with each other. You said they smell each other. They look for each other all the time. Yep, yep. All right, so uh, let's get to more news from around the Bundesliga. Another American making an impact. Maybe not uh, on the score sheet, but in a big way. Borussia Mönchengladbach, shocking 1-1 draw against Bayern Munich. So they take points off the defending champions on Friday. The bigger surprise is the 18-year-old, Herc, the 18-year-old starting uh, at left back. Joe Scally, product of the New York City FC Academy. He has zero senior national team caps, Herc. And this is what's going to make you really feel old. Uh, he was born in 2002, dude. 2002. <laughs> yeah, I remember the internet. Uh, yep. <laughs> what's more impressive about this is that he's 18 years old, uh, that he's playing this way against Bayern Munich. Look, isn't Leroy Sané on his side, mm-hmm. and, and he kept him relatively quiet. He had maybe a few one-on-ones where he's going to learn, correct? Uh, but he's playing out of position and he's getting good minutes in a quality squad. Out of position as a left back. Here he is after the match with uh, some reaction to what must have been an emotional day. Yeah, it was a dream come true. I mean, when I found out I was starting and all week, I mean, I was so nervous, of course, because this is one of the best teams in the world. And watching them on TV my whole life and all last year thinking, wow, what a what an unbelievable thing it would be to play them and to finally do it and have a good game and to tie 1-1, it was amazing. For somebody who's 18, starting their first game in a top European league, you didn't seem to have much fear about taking on players such as Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coma. I saw you trying to dribble past Sané on multiple occasions and doing so as well. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I grew up watching these guys and it was always wow, one day I wish I could play them, and it happened, so I had to leave it all out on the field and let nothing go. Herc, I want to bring up uh, one more thing about our, our friend Jurgen Klinsmann, because we had him to, on to talk about Joe Scally as well. And we just went to him, and, and Jurgen's always in a good mood. He was just laughing. He was laughing about the amount of Americans that are just breaking out across Europe. And it made me think, if Jurgen's not also laughing at everybody else, uh, that pointed a finger at him back in the day when you he used think? to say, we got to get more and more and more <laughs> yeah, kids. Because the thing that got Jurgen in some trouble is now the thing that American soccer fans are hanging their hats on. Yeah, it's a clear division, right? It's uh, MLS versus the rest of the world when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. You, you see it in the way that certain fan bases cheer for certain players, but Jurgen's absolutely right. And there's nothing wrong in saying it. Mm. You want your players, your best players, playing at the highest level. Well, where is the highest level? It's in yep. Europe. So it's, it's a no-brainer. By the way, this player, Joe Scully, played in Major League Soccer a combined total of 70 minutes. Yep. He did more uh, of that he, versus Bayern. Uh, he, he came out of the New York City FC Academy where he played, by the way, with Gio Reyna. Yeah. Right? So, so for, if you're a U.S. men's national team fan and you're thinking about the future, I think they played, they're the same age group, so, and they were there together at least three years. Imagine Gio Reyna and this kid flying down the flanks, you know, maybe one as a left winger, one as a left back. For what? I, I mean, a decade? 15 years? They're, they're 18 right now. They're kids. Listen, they could Sammy, easily play into their 30s. It, it's, it's 319 on a Monday, August 16th, <laughs> and in about 20 minutes there'll be another American in Europe, so don't worry about uh, it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we don't know where they'll be. We do know uh, where Borussia Mönchengladbach will be over the weekend. They are in, in action. Of course, the Bundesliga, you can see it all year on ESPN+. Plus. Mönchengladbach taking on Bayer Leverkusen on the big one. ABC also on ESPN Deportes on ESPN+. Plus as well. Coverage starts Saturday, 12.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern time for that Bundesliga showdown. Don't miss it. All right, uh, from the German top flight to the Spanish top flight, La Liga, Barcelona getting off to a Pretty good start, Herc, in the post-Messi era 4-2 win over Real Sociedad at the camp now. Serginho Dest starts. He plays 71 minutes. He is replaced at the 71st minute uh, by Emerson, the Brazilian Emerson. Herc. Correct. Not, not, yes, not the Italian Emerson. <laughs> we will make sure to lock that one down this time. Who is, by the way, his direct competition for the job. So I guess that tells us at least through week one, Serginho Dest atop the Barcelona right-back depth chart. Correct. For week one, absolutely. Listen, yeah. and, he, and he did well. They were up 3-0. Mm-hmm. He played 70 minutes. He had a passing completion rate of 92%. He only didn't connect on two of his passes. And I repeat, 
It was 3-0 when he left the field. At the end of the game, 3-2. They held on. And Emerson at fault for one of the goals. Yep, yep. And that's so that's what I would say is that Emerson, I think actually Dest is, is clearly top of the depth back chart, but now the lead has to have grown, right? Emerson gets in for 20 minutes, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Herc, I played outside back for a long time, but obviously I didn't do it well. Um, getting beat like this as an outside back on the back post says, I mean, is there anything worse? Is there anything that's going to that's gonna get you in a coach's it's, it's doghouse a, it's more? It's a cardinal sin, absolutely. Yep. And okay. listen, Dest has been, been at fault at this point precise action many times before so but not in this match not in this match but here's the thing with Serginho Dest he's cleaning up the defensive duties which are clearly a liability for him but in the offensive end you're still getting the same Serginho Dest he's going to win duels on the offensive end 1v1 he's going to be a participant in the in the final third in the attack he's a very good footballing brain so you get all of that but now he's giving you that security as well Okay, so guess what else he's giving? He's giving interviews to our uh, Alexis Nunes. They had a chat last week. Now, a lot of it was about Messi, kind of in the fallout at Barcelona about Messi. If you want that, check out the ESPN FC channel on the YouTube. But he did, I think, say something very interesting about this, uh, let's call it golden generation of young American players. Here it is. Do you think this is the, the best time or the strongest time that we've seen a U.S. team? To be honest, I think yes. If we, we are all really young, you know, so we're all talented and I think we still have a bright future, you know, for us ahead. So I feel like this can be the strongest we have ever had, yeah. So in terms of some of the other players too, who'd you, who'd you get on with, you know, just so we get an idea of what it's like, you know, this, this unit of the U.S. team now? Yeah, as I said, you know, right now we're just... I don't know, we're just a brotherhood, you know, everybody is improving at the club, making big steps. And yeah, for us, like our development is also really, really important that we keep, uh, you know, improving, improving. And I think those big clubs in the Europe help us a lot to improve. And I think that, that, that helps us with a bright future. So we're going to be like united, really good. Okay, Herc, so this interview aired in the build-up to the Barcelona game over the weekend, obviously, so a lot of people saw it. And I heard from a few, let's say, U.S. men's national team veterans who were like, hey, they haven't even qualified for a World Cup yet. True. Um, is Serginho just maybe getting a little bit ahead of himself? It's one thing when we say it. Uh, is he getting ahead of himself to say that this is the best yet? Absolutely. I understand that on paper you could say it's the best yet because of where the players are playing at the mm -hmm. ages they are playing, but I, I would you would be very hard-pressed if Serginho Dest could tell you who played in his position more than a decade ago, if he knows who Steve Chirundolo is. So to automatically say your generation is the best, this team is already better than, and not know your predecessors, predecessors excuse me, not know who came before you, it's, it's a bit weak. But, mm. but I tell you what I do love, the confidence, because we've heard already Tyler Adams, when I interviewed him uh, a while back, talk about potentially winning the 2026 World Cup, about what better moment to win it. So mm -hmm. now we have Serginho Dest at Barcelona talking about, we're a very good generation. We're the best generation. We can do things. So we're we have this winning mentality that's always, that's always been with the U.S. in any world competition. These young players who actually talk about winning, talk about mm -hmm. winning World Cups, I love that. But if we're being honest, it, let's settle down because we're still coming off a World Cup failure that uh, is still fresh on people's minds. Okay. All right. What, what is this show about? It's about driving the hype train. Come on, man. We can't settle down. We can't, oh, we can't preach, we can't preach the gospel You just told me you were in presence of down. U.S. men's national team players who are saying, hey, what's this kid talking about? Uh, hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It was a great interview. He's a, he's a, yeah. a great interview, and, and, and Alexis did a, a great job with some really interesting stuff on Messi and kind of what it means for Barcelona. You should definitely uh, check it out. Speaking of Barcelona, you can always catch them on ESPN+. Plus. Of course, uh, ESPN+, Plus, home of La Liga this weekend. Ah, they head to Basque Country, Athletic Club Bilbao, that match Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN+. Plus. Hey, some more news from over in Europe. Uh, Tanner Tessman, Herc, makes his uh, debut with Venezia in Italy, the 19-year-old Nate League match, a Coppa Italia match. They advanced via penalties. Uh, I'm told he missed his, his shot in the shootout. But uh, other than that, you can't complain. Oh, it's the stutter step. Good. Good, don't stutter step, uh, but Tanner Tessman, congratulations, an eventful 38 minutes. Uh, deep line little number eight, good size on him. Hopefully he does well in Italy. 
Tessman, Busio, the sweet jerseys. I think uh, Venezia's gonna have a lot of U.S. fans they are pretty before sweet. this is all said and done. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Philadelphia Union and Club America in the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals. America winning 2-0 Herc, which means Philly has some work to do heading back north. What do you think the chances are of a Union remontada in the second leg? Not very good. Honestly, not sli- very good or none. Slim to none. Slim to none. Ah, because, <laughs> because, well, listen, this game will be played in like in three months from now, so who knows what the teams yeah, will look like. Exactly. Uh, but when Philly attacked them, the few times they attacked them, and very early on, like minute 130, was it five, six right there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chabilko with the little back heel attempt. They actually came close, but other than that, they tried to sit back, they tried to absorb. And you can't do that in Mexico. You can't do that against a team like Club America. It's a deflected goal, I understand. But if it wasn't this one, it was going to be another one. It was just one after the other. They kept trying to absorb pressure. It wasn't going to happen. And then this is going to happen. I wouldn't have called this a penalty kick, but when you slow it down and you really? see Really? You got a problem with this? No, I said I wouldn't have called it a penalty kick. But when you slow it down and you go to VAR and you see the contact, you have to call it a penalty mm-hmm. kick. So it is what it is. They were unfortunate in their stance. They needed to get that away goal. And when you don't get that away goal, you put yourself behind the eight ball. Because now in Philadelphia, Club America scores one, and they can just play with you, can just toy with you, put you on the counter, and it's one, two, three. It's just after the other that they can come back down your throat. Yeah, that's really what it is, right? Is that Philadelphia at this point really has to be almost irresponsible and go chase the game. Yeah. And you just figure that, that playing that way for long enough, Club America will eventually kind of take advantage of that. I don't know, though, and maybe this is just the, you know me, I'm a very pessimistic fan of all of my teams, uh, the fans speaking out. This America is not as I as agree with you. Clinical. We've, and you've said that a million times on this show, but I agree with you. This America is not the America of old. They're not that clinical. They're not the same attacking team. I could see them having an off night finishing, and if that's the case, Philly just needs two goals, and I, I don't think that's just out of the two. realm of possibility at all. No, no, just to, yeah, 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 you say it like it's nothing. But, what um, but, it, but, but I agree with you, Seb, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but what I'm trying to say is that's what annoys me with the situation yeah. because if they attacked them, they could have hurt them. But they sat back, they tried to absorb, and America, this America down the wings is where they do their most damage. They invited play down the wings. They invited those dangerous services, that, that, that dangerous play in their final third, or America's final third, their defensive third. And you can't absorb in Mexico that way. Well, look, uh, you play in the CONCACAF Champions League. You're asking for a good addition of... You got CONCACAF, and we have a great one from this game uh, on Thursday night. Because, Eric, anytime you go to Mexico City, what is the one thing you want? You want cheap dental work, uh, right? So, <laughs> Olivier Embaizo here, courtesy of Mauro Linus, is, uh, is getting some chiclets worked on. Oh, uh, did you think this was on purpose? A hundred percent, and I'm, I'm shocked that it wasn't some type of, I, he, I know he didn't get a right, he didn't even get a yellow, right? I, I think it's on purpose that he's trying to establish position and he's trying to hit him across the chest to establish position, but he catches him square. He's trying to hit him. Where he's trying to hit him doesn't really matter. He's trying to hit him. And the fact that he hits him in the face, you know, I think obviously deserved more than what Mauro Linus got. That was a huge break. If that goes off as a red, um, it's it's a totally different different story that we're talking about that first leg. Uh, Leagues Cup also on Thursday night, the last of the four quarter finals. We had Orlando against Santos Laguna and Herc really we had a pretty clear Orlando A team against a pretty clearly not Santos A team. So, so what happened here to Orlando? Uh, well, I don't know about pretty clear Orlando A team. It's a big difference if you don't have Pedro Galese in the back in goal. Okay. You know, would you would you at least give me that? But then I, I agree with you. I thought Orlando had the better of the play, especially early on. But this is a goalkeeping error right here. Right, first is. is Juan, you, you can't lead him inside. Otero shoots, and then uh, this is he's gonna want that one back. I, I, I know it's the backup goalkeeper, but Orlando should have done way more with the opportunities, especially versus this Santos B team. 
That's what I'm saying. In the in the narrative that MLS is catching up to Liga MX, if a Liga MX doesn't send team doesn't send its best team, um, Orlando City, who's a good MLS team right now, like this yeah. is not Orlando City of a few years ago. They're very very good. One of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, maybe one of the best teams in the league. We'll probably figure it out come the playoff time. But uh, still, I thought it was a real disappointment for Orlando. And maybe we say generally the quarterfinals were very disappointing for MLS in this competition, right? Absolutely. Two teams you would have thought would have done better, at least display. Yeah. You, could, you could see Orlando losing to Santos, no problem. But a better display. Yeah. They had good chances early on, but they let Santos into this game. And then New York City FC, I mean, New York City had all the play, just couldn't finish. You know, against, I don't even know if that's a B team for Pumas. A lot of those players came from Pumas Tabasco, which is... And it doesn't Francia. really matter because Pumas A team isn't very good either. That's, just, that's the truth. Yeah. And, and, and they then, still lost. And Sporting Kansas City Leon was kind of the ultimate embarrassment uh, for MLS if you look at it just on a scoreline standpoint, right? The 6-1. So, yeah, the League's Cup, which, you know, obviously is, a, is an idea born on this side of the border, is definitely not proving what I think a lot of people want it to prove. No. No, and they not, leave yet. It up, not yet. They leave it up to Seattle to be the lone team to carry that Major League Soccer flag, be the flag bearer. Uh, but you could imagine with these teams, if there was ever a time to send a message, it was this tournament and it was now. And no, they didn't. League's Cup, also a good spot to find a you've been CONCACAF. Now, Herc, uh, I, this has happened to me plenty of times in like men's league. There's nothing more infuriating than when you get red carded from a game after a game. Uh, that happened to Junior Urso for Orlando after the Santos match. Wait, wait. It's happened to you that you've seen it or you've been the guy to be red carded? No, after? I'm definitely the guy. I mean, guy, this happened to me in, in high school once, I think, and <laughs> definitely at club level. Really? You seem so calm and measured. I know. I it's understand. weird, right? It's just a different side of me comes out on the field. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Junior Urso will be uh, bummed to miss the uh, next match in the league's cup should Orlando qualify. You've, you've been CONCACAF. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Raul Jimenez, it is good to see him back. Back in a Wolves uniform. Got the start for Wolverhampton as they fell 1-0 against Leicester City over the weekend. Played the full 90. Herc obviously unable to score uh, as his team was kept off the board entirely. Couple questions here. Uh, what did you think of how he played? Kind of first time back at the full competitive level of the Premier League. Uh, and then what did you make of him playing the full 90? Because I have to say that I did not expect. Okay, uh, I can't give you an honest opinion about his gameplay and how he did without putting in a context that he's not played since November of last year. So like, it, wasn't, it wasn't an instant return to old Raul is what you're no, saying? No, not at okay. all. But, but okay. the fact that he's on the field, and especially at 90, was mm-hmm. pretty jarring to see on my on like my end. I did not expect 90. I did not expect his body to hold up that way or, or for them to have that type of confidence to keep him out there for that long. Uh, but knowing what we know of Raul Jimenez and his play with Wolves and, and what he's done since he went to Wolves, it certainly didn't look like the Raul Jimenez of old. I know we have to put mm-hmm. into context what he's been through, and it's, it, it's incredible, and, and my hat's off to him and, and, and that medical staff and what they've done to bring him back on the field. But you can see the body of work. It almost looked like physically, it looks physically like he's not the same, like he's lost a little muscle mass, which is expected. The confidence will take time to get there, the speed of play as well. But he went 90, and you have to recognize that. So, a couple stats, not that they matter much. He did, you know, he's pretty active. Uh, he had three shots, none of them on goal. Um, he won two of three aerial duels, which I think was something that, like, yeah. when I thought of stats, I just wanted to see, you know, how many was he involved in. Um, was he winning them? You know, he's, he's, he's clearly not afraid of going up for the ball. You know, there's, there's none of that fear that you might think a, a mere mortal might have. You know, if I was out there, I'd, I'd be scared uh, incredibly to do what he's doing. The, the, the courage to do what he's doing after the injury they'd had, I think, is remarkable. One part of his game that I think is still very clearly there is Raul has always been a player, Jimenez, who can bring others into play. And that, for me, was very clearly evident throughout this match. Uh, he does a great job of playing with, especially the kind of attacking partners on the wings, the, the, the edge guys in a 4-3-3, like we kind of assume that he'll play with in Mexico. That part of Raul's game, to me, is, is 
Very, very solid right now, Herc. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. It's the finishing. It's the killer instinct in the box that I think, understandably, we didn't see against Leicester, but also, understandably, is probably going to be the last thing in um, in terms of, in terms of what, what he yeah. really brings to the table when he finally gets back to 100%. Let me tell you what worries me. The Raul Jimenez of old, Traore, Adama Traore, and other players mm -hmm. on that team wouldn't look him off wouldn't try to be as selfish in the box. It almost felt like a form of disrespect. Like, they're not quite sure of him yet. The well, they haven't played with him in nine there. months. It could be, could be also, also that rust, sure. But that wouldn't have happened with the Raul of old. You mm. know, Raul commanded a different type of respect there. And everybody's glad to see Raul Jimenez back on the field. We're all happy. He's an incredible player. He was one of the best nines in the world, let's face it, you know, in his top moment in the Premier League. Uh, but it's going to take him time to get back to that level. Uh, what about the national team in that level? Do you think he's going to end up getting called in for these upcoming qualifiers? People don't know what our production meters are like, how, how <laughs> testy they can get. And, and the producer's been on this train for a while, so yeah. we got to give him credit. But he's, he's selling me on the idea that Tata Martino is going to call up Raul Jimenez. Like, mm -hmm. let's just face it. There's, the pressure is so immense on Tata Martino that if he doesn't call up Raul Jimenez, and even if Raul Jimenez isn't scoring goals at the Premier League, but he's playing, he's going to get ate up by the press. By, by, by the entorno, the, the ambiance, yeah. the surroundings right now around Tata Martino. So I think he's going to get called up. Whether he plays or not, I don't think that's up to Raul Jimenez. I think that's more on Rogelio Funes Mori and Tata Martino and what they got going on. Yeah, Mexico's not a, a deep enough national team pool where you have a guy who's playing in the Premier League at forward, starting as he did over the weekend, and you don't call him in. You're right, the bigger question is, will Raul Jimenez play? And, and Based on what we saw over the weekend, I think Rogelio Funes Mori is still pretty clearly the number one guy. But with World Cup qualifiers, we know it's not just the number one guy that's going to play. There's going to be minutes as subs, and there's also going to be rotations. Like Jimenez doesn't have to start all three games. He could start just one. And, and now that we know he can go 90, you at least can't rule it out of the realm of the possibility. If he can go 90 for Wolves in the Premier League, he can certainly go 90 for Mexico and CONCACAF. Yeah, I think it's on Tata to provide that safe space, if you will. Know when it's going to be a good time to play. Maybe it's at home uh, in the friendly confines and not out uh, in an away game in what is CONCACAF in that CONCACAF jungle. So Raul Jimenez then uh, close maybe to uh, rejoining the Mexican national team at full capacity. Speaking of joining the Mexican national team, multiple reports now. Juliana Raujo uh, is going to switch from the U.S. to Mexico following in David Ochoa's footsteps. Talked about that last week. He debuted for the U.S. Late last year, December 2020, against uh, El Salvador. So we now have, what is this? We got Juliana Raujo, we would have Ochoa, we'd have Efraín Álvarez. We have what appears to be a trend um, of players, of Mexican-American players, young ones, choosing Mexico over the United States. Is that trend problematic for U.S. soccer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for lots of reasons. I mean, you don't want a certain sector feeling excluded so why are mm -hmm. these kids going to mexico why are they choosing mexico and people have to forgive me for a second for not caring what size they choose i don't care if they play for the u.s men's national team or if they play for mexico i want the best for these kids and where they go but i want the u.s men's national team fan base to have an equal opportunity of getting these players quality players why are they going here what, what's going on that's a trend that we need to look at what is u.s soccer not doing to find common ground with these kids and their families. That is a continuing trend besides these, these three players that you just mentioned that I think is very worrisome. Yeah, you, you, you said feeling excluded. I, I would just pump the brakes on that a little bit because until somebody tells us that they felt excluded, we, we can't just assign that as the reason that Juliana Nahuas choosing Mexico. I'm talking historically about the Mexican-American player, that's, not these three. That, that may well be fair, but these three we can't assign that to them until, they, until they've told us that that's the reason they're picking um, one national team over the other. As far as the Mexican team is concerned, you're getting all these talented players. Who do we think is going to make a bigger impact now, Araujo or Ochoa? Actually, I think the better question, because Ochoa is kind of in his own category, um, Araujo or Efraín? Those would be the two that I would compare most directly. I mean, maybe all three of them, because I don't know if Ochoa is in his own category. He maybe have aging goalkeepers in his way, but... Well, if he's the number one goalie, then he's definitely going to be the better pickup, right? Well, who says he's the number one goalie? Well, if he gets that job, then it's the, it's the biggest pickup because he'll have the biggest impact, no doubt. Okay, if he gets that job. There's no guarantee. Jurado just played with, with Cruz Azul. Acevedo's been, been dying to get some, some 
time right there. But I think it's got to be Julian Araujo because of the position. And you look who's in front of him. It's Chaka Rodriguez, who has a love-hate relationship with fans. And Jorge Hernandez for Club America, who's got the same relationship with fans. And, and they both play in Mexico. Julian Araujo has been garnering European entrances. Uh, sorry, Sanchez, not Hernandez. Uh, he's been garnering that European interest. Uh, so this would be a massive pickup for a player that, quite frankly, is a good player, but still needs to develop um, a lot of things if he's going to play for Tata Martino and the way that Tata Martino wants these players to play. Yeah, and I think you can look at Araujo's depth chart with the U.S. and you see pretty clearly why it was going to be a long way for him to minutes, real serious minutes anyway with the U.S. Obviously, as you state, a uh, very different situation with Mexico. All right, let's get back to, a, uh, to, the, to La Liga, no? because we had a big debut over the weekend. I know you were watching the Getafe Valencia game on ESPN Plus, sir, primarily because I was calling it. I know you were tuned in. Uh, Getafe <laughs> loses 1-0 to Valencia, but JJ Macias does come on as a 67th minute sub. Um, look, he, he, it wasn't a loud debut, I, I won't lie to you, but I did call the game, so here's my analysis. He had one great chance, uh, which he misses off the post. However, it was offside, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. A few minutes after getting into the game, he had a one-on-one -on -one um, with Jose Gaya, who is a Spanish international on the team that uh, made it to the semifinals at Euros over the summer. And, he, and he's a captain of Valencia. And Macias absolutely skinned him and draws a yellow card in a very, very dangerous spot. So there was a moment of, of, of kind of hope there if you're a JJ Macias fan. Um, what do you think of the debut and what do you think of his chances of breaking into the starting lineup? Debut is what it is. It's debut in La Liga. We have to recognize that. We have to congratulate him for that. Mm -hmm. But Getafe is not really leaving me all warm and fuzzy inside with the amount of chances <laughs> he's going to get this season. I mean, they went down very early. Uh, or Valencia, I should say, went down very early a man. Uh, and they had a man advantage for a long stretch of what was this game and couldn't take advantage of that. So when it's 11 v 11, are you telling me, even though Michel is a very proactive, attacking-minded coach, that you feel comfortable with the amount of chances that JJ Macias is going to get at Getafe because I don't feel comfortable with that. Yeah. I know we put that number at nine and a half and I took the under. I feel very good about that. You took the over. But I, I, it just, I don't see where the goals or the chances are going to come from. If, you, if he's going to be relied upon to create his own chances, that's not a good equation for a number nine. No, you're, you're not lying. That Valencia got a, a red card in like the first minute of the game yeah. and you would have thought they were playing with 11 and Getafe was playing with 10. Like Getafe just could not create chances. Here, here's the good news for Jota Macias about that. He wasn't involved in most of that. Uh, the two guys that started up top, Sandro, who's like a, a Barcelona Academy product that never quite made it, uh, and Unal, a Turkish player, um, really did nothing. And so if you're Michel and you're looking at that, you say, okay, um, I know what Jota Jota Macias can do. I saw what he did in a brief spurt, and these guys gave me nothing with a man advantage for over an hour. If there's any reason to, to make a change in the lineup, it was, it was evident right there in that first game of the season. Is that Start really a good, thing, a good thing if he's already behind the depth chart behind those two players? Nope, because I don't think he's going to be behind them on the depth chart for long. Uh now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Let's get to uh, Major League Soccer. Good, bad, and ugly, Herc, from the weekend. We start with the good man. You know who's getting a lot of love on this show is Jurgen Klinsmann. Jonathan Klinsmann, his son, seven saves in a 1-0 away win for the Galaxy over Minnesota. He replaces Jonathan Bond in the starting lineup, and wow, what a moment. Well, they just weren't saves. They're not positional saves. These are some acrobatic movements here to keep his team in this game. Minnesota, a very difficult place to play. And Jonathan Klinsmann, Jonathan Klinsmann, the son of Jurgen Klinsmann. Actually, we're going to start calling Jurgen Klinsmann the son of, or the dad of Jonathan Klinsmann. Ridiculous save, Sebi. Yeah. You know, I, I forgot. I, I keep thinking of, of this Klinsmann is very, very young. He's, and he is young. I mean, he's 24 years old. So uh, he does have some experience over in Europe and, and clearly making the most of this opportunity here in MLS. All right, to the bad, Herc. Elsewhere in Los Angeles. LAFC, the winless streak uh -oh. hitting six after one nothing loss to Atlanta on Sunday. Herc, LAFC are now 
below the playoff line. Oh no. Oh, oh no. This is, this is, they've not won in six. They've lost the last three. That defensive pair by Murillo. Eddie Segura with an ACL injury. Mark Anthony K, he gone. Uh, Brian Rodriguez, we can't figure out his situation. Uh, it, it just it just seems like this is a different LAFC team. We've never seen Bob Bradley have this kind of points record in Major League Soccer after 18 games. Yeah, the frustration's running high, especially for Carlos Vela. Hard to to take the positive positive things when you lost a game. For me, it was a really close game. Both teams have chances, create a good option to score a goal, but we don't take any opportunity. They take one and they take the points. Not much to say. We have to keep working. Honestly, I don't want to lose more. I'm tired to lose, so we have to change this situation, change this stretch and keep going, keep working. Carlos Vela then tired of losing. Now, Herc, you were uh, online after this game. Oh, before you that. You tweeted this. Oh, this is before the game? Yeah, okay. 2019, Carlos Vela scores 34 goals and dishes out 15 assists. Since then, he's only scored nine goals. Nine goals, Herc. Okay, so it seems to me like you're insinuating with this tweet that Carlos Vela is fading since his glorious 34-goal campaign of 2019. <laughs> is is Carlos Vela read? fading? Is that what you read? Uh, yeah. it, put it in context. I said, but Atlanta versus LAFC never fails for goals, uh, so... Join us. All right. Is he fading? I think it's obvious. The, the easy, simple question or answer, I should say, is yes. Uh, look at the first mm -hmm. two seasons, okay? He's 32 right now. It comes when he's 30 years old. First two seasons for Carlos Vela in 59 games, he scores 59 goals, 28 assists. 2020, last season, and what's up until now this season, he's got nine goals, five assists in 23 games. I think it's obvious. You couple that with MLS's back, he didn't want to attend because his wife was pregnant, totally respectable. But first game, back to market. A knee injury, he doesn't play for like two, three months. Mm. First game this season versus Austin, some mysterious injury where it was a confusion with him and Bob Bradley about does he stay on, does he come off? He doesn't play for a while, but he's getting back into his group. He scored four of the last five games. He's easily the most talented player they have, the most dangerous player they have. But for me, it's consistency around him. Look at the changes for LAFC over the years. Laurent Simon, your captain, he's gone. Benny Falharber, a very steady player, he's gone. Lee Wynn, he's gone. Andre Orta was a DP, he brought him in, never did anything. Diomande, Betashore, uh, Walker Zimmerman, who was a defender of your candidate while he was there, he's gone. Tyler Miller, he's gone. Uh, Kenneth Vermeer, He's gone. Pablo Cisniega, don't know where he is. Mark Anthony K, he's out. So these are decisions. These aren't injuries. These are decisions that you as a club have made. So there's a lot of inconsistency right there with LAFC. And Carlos Vela, if anything, is human. You move the pieces around him, it's almost impossible for him alone to move and pull the strings. Five goals and four assists, pretty good for fading. I mean, you know, five goals and four assists in 16 games uh, is not bad. The question should really read, has Carlos Vela faded, and why is Bob Bradley mad at Seb about it? That's really what the question should read. That was Hercules Gomez who said Carlos Vela is fading. Never said Let's get to fading. the ugly. Let's get to the... <laughs> Yo, I'm sorry, yes, you don't actually have opinions here on Football Americas. All right, uh, Montreal versus the New York Red Bulls. What happened here, Herc? Uh, like a million penalty saves called back. Carlos Cornell of the New York Red Bulls makes one penalty save on Bjorn Johnson, but he's off his line, then he's going to make another one on Mason Toy. But he's off his line. They both get overturned thanks to VAR. And then Victor Wanyama from Montreal finally puts it through. And Montreal wins. Um, are you cool with this? Are the, goalies getting, are the goalies getting the wrong end of the deal? Of course you're getting the wrong end of the deal. By the way, hey, one shooter misses. Nah, but let me have a go at this. Another shooter misses. Nah, nah, nah. I'm going to put this away. Then he almost misses the third. Hey. If you stutter step as a shooter, you already automatically have an advantage. You already have an advantage because it's a penalty kick, okay? It's a penalty kick. You have an advantage over the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper has to react to you. But then you stutter step full stop and go. You draw the keeper out off his line with this silly rule that you have to have your foot on the line as if goalkeeping is that easy, as if you're already in a penalty, a penalty kick and it's not a disadvantage to you. It's one of the most dumb things I've ever seen in soccer, this rule. And for it to be constantly called, but the stutter step and full stop by the shooters is never called, blows my mind. Get out of here it. with that. 
I love it, Herc. You are you were so mad online about this uh, after this after this occurred. I saw you on Twitter. I was Sebi you're one of those, are upset. You're, you're, you're one of those people that whenever they, something happens in the game that they don't like, they want to change the rules. Change the rules change of the game. The Let's rules. do it. No, Let's apply change the rules. rules. I don't like the rules. I don't like the rules. Apply. Let's change them. Herc, uh, this is a part of the show where I feel like you have a, a Seattle hot take you want to give. What's your what's your Seattle hot take this week? Go ahead. No, no, no. You brought it up. You wanted to go about your Seattle anti-Seattle ways, and and you <laughs> threw some shade. At Brian Schmetzer, and I had to remind you. When did I throw shade at Brian Schmetzer in my life? Hamas, you're lying. Change that. Sebastian Salazar wanted to call him Coach of the Year. I want to say he's the best coach in Major League Soccer today. That's what I want to say. Don't pull anything. No, no. But give give me a second. Give me a second, okay? It's not even a doubt over the last four years who the best coach coach in Major League Soccer is. Let's see. I had Ozzy Alonso, I lose Ozzy Alonso. No problem. I had Chad Marshall, I lose Chad Marshall. No problem. I had Gustav Svensson, I lose to Gustav Svensson. No problem. Then I lose Nico Lodero and Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris, he lost twice. And this year, after doing all that and having to play with the kids, did did you hear about him playing with the kids? After doing all that, he creates three league MVPs and Joao Paulo, Christian Roldan, and Raul Rui Diaz are all that while having the best defensive team in the league. And he used four keepers to get there. Do you know he lost Stephen Fry? Don't come at me with anybody else besides Brian Schmetzer as the best coach in Major League Soccer today. Not coach of the year, because that's a given. Nobody could even put an argument with that. I'm talking about the best coach in Major League Soccer today. Despite what you say, Salazar. What? You... Bravo. It cannot be denied. So the, I just want to make sure the YouTube headline then is not Brian Schmetzer, Coach of the Year. Brian Schmetzer, the best coach in Major League Soccer. I mean, tell Quote me I'm wrong. Hercules Gomez. Tell me I'm wrong. No. I think it's tough to argue this one. I think it's tough to argue this one. Your boy Bruce Arena might have, might have some thoughts. Bruce Arena's got three players on his team. Bruce Arena's a great coach. Not the best coach today. Okay. Give me a bad sounder season from Brian Schmetzer. Go ahead, I'll wait. Go ahead. No, I'm still waiting. I'm not gonna argue with you oh. on this one. I've made too oh. many enemies in Seattle. By the way, already. another American has just debuted in Europe. Okay, all right. Uh, that's it for this edition of Football Americas. We will be back on Thursday. Joe Scally interview. Uh, Herc, what you wearing over there? Go ahead, Fonzie. Tell him what's up, Fonzie. <laughs> <laughs>